Chapter 22 Mistakes in Teaching It is doubtful if we fully appreciate the importance of the work entrusted to us. Too often, a teacher takes a class because he is urged to do so, or because no one else will serve rather than because it is a magnificent opportunity he cannot afford to lose. As a matter of fact, no higher honor can be conferred upon anyone than to entrust to him the care of souls. When the child of Zacharias and Elizabeth was brought into the temple to be circumcised, the relatives and friends who knew the peculiar circumstances attending his birth, the dumbness of his father, and the sudden loosing of his tongue, marveled among themselves, saying, What manner of child shall this be? Something of the same mystery and uncertainty attends the birth of every child. Each one is an entirely new combination. In its veins runs the blood of good people and bad, priests and pirates, saints and sinners. Every child has in it the making of an angel or a demon. What it shall be depends not only on what it is, but also on how it is taught and trained. If a child from a Christian home were brought up in a heathen family, it would probably become a heathen, and a heathen child under Christian training would probably become a Christian. How important it is then that we recognize the possibilities of good and evil in every child and that we encourage the good tendencies and suppress the evil. Does not the bloodline affect the formation of character? Certainly. How then can we hope to develop a good character out of a child whose parentage is low and possibly even vicious? In every child there runs the blood of many generations. Go far enough back and a pious and godly ancestry will be found for every child. From these, it inherits a predisposition to righteousness, which will surely affect its character. In Exodus chapter 20 verse 5, we read that God visits the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me. In Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 9, we read that God keeps His covenant and His loving kindness to a thousandth generation with those who love Him and keep His commandments. In other words, under God's economy, the influence of righteous people is more enduring and permanent than that of the ungodly. We should never forget that every child has two fathers, an earthly and a heavenly father. While on the human side, he may inherit a legacy of evil tendencies, on the divine side, he has in Jesus Christ a legacy of grace that more than counterbalances the evil. Yes, blood does count, but the blood of Jesus Christ counts more than all other influences combined. Sin abounds, it is true, but grace much more abounds. Hence it follows that as we sometimes find a lily growing in a swamp, so we often find a beautiful character whose immediate ancestors have been even disreputable. It was this, I suppose, to which Paul referred when he said, Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16 It is said that a traveler once called at a house in South Africa and inquired for the head of the family. Some children were playing in the yard, tossing stones from one to another in place of a ball. While waiting for the father, the visitor joined the children in their play. Soon, a stone which looked like a huge crystal was tossed into his hand. His experienced eye at once recognized in that rough-looking stone a diamond of enormous size and value. Thus were the diamond mines of South Africa discovered.
Even so, Jesus Christ, a traveler from a far country, first discovered the worth of a human soul. By His testimony concerning them, His tender love for them, and the infinite price He paid for their redemption, He has raised their value throughout the entire world. He who is wise wins souls, says Solomon, Proverbs chapter 11, verse 30. While James adds, He who turns a sinner from the error of his way shall save his soul from death and shall cover a multitude of sins. James chapter 5, verse 20. Add to this the purchase price which has been paid for every soul. Shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. If you are burdened with a consciousness of your unfitness for the care of souls, remember what someone has truly said. Just as nurses who have the care of a king's children are more generously fed and tenderly cared for than they otherwise would be, so we too, whom the King of Kings has entrusted the care of his precious children, may hope to be fed more bountifully with the bread of life and taught more tenderly by the Holy Spirit because of our great responsibility. A common mistake of teachers is that they do not sufficiently appreciate the forces of evil that are arrayed against us. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12. The careless and prayerless way in which some teachers prepare for their work shows that they have no adequate idea of the opposition which everyone must encounter who preaches or teaches the gospel. As a matter of fact, Every Sunday is a scene of conflict when all the forces of heaven and hell are arrayed against each other. Every Sunday school service is a battlefield on which are decided eternal issues, and the destiny of multitudes is determined. If athletes train for a boat race or ball game, surely the teacher ought to train all week so that he may be in superb spiritual condition on the Lord's Day and have an adequate knowledge of the lesson. He cannot pray too much nor ponder too often the relation of each pupil to Christ and the wisest application to be made of each lesson. One of the greatest mistakes many teachers make is not talking frankly with their pupils about their relation to Jesus Christ. They may take great interest in the class and work hard on the lessons, but if they do not have the courage to talk with their pupils personally on the subject of religion, they will never succeed as teachers. Pupils are quick to recognize moral cowardice and they are sure to despise it. One of the most successful Sunday school workers that this country has ever produced was Mr. W. M. Reynolds. He was converted from a general worker into a personal worker by the following experience. His pastor was to exchange pulpits on Sunday, and he offered to entertain the visiting minister. When the latter arrived on Saturday night, he met him at the door and gave him a hearty welcome. The visitor was a little man, but he made a great change in that household. Hardly had he removed his hat and coat before he turned to his host and asked, What are you doing for God? I am teaching a class in Sunday school. Girls or boys? They are young ladies. Have they all been converted? I don't know whether they have been converted or not. Let us pray, said the visitor, and down he went on his knees right there in the hall, and he prayed fervently for that teacher and his class. Soon, Mr. Reynolds went to his wife and said, I don't think much of that man who we have to entertain over Sunday. Why not? 
Why, said the indignant host, that fellow got me down on my knees out in the hall and prayed for me because I told him that I didn't know whether my class was converted or not. But husband, don't you think the man was more than half right? I thought, said Mr. Reynolds, it was rather hard for my wife to turn against me, but I tried to make the best of it. Fortunately, we had guests at dinner, and by careful steering, I managed to keep the conversation from running into the subject of religion. After the guests had retired, I pushed the Bible across the table towards the minister and asked him to lead our devotions. There are some Christian homes where they always have family worship when a minister is visiting them. The little minister read a chapter and then turning to me said, Brother Reynolds, do you have the faith to believe that all your class will be converted tomorrow? I cannot say that I have. Then I don't see but one thing to pray for. And down he went on his knees and prayed that I might have faith given me to lead all my class to Christ the next day. Then he went to bed, and I was glad of it. After a while I retired myself, but not to sleep. Somehow I could not help thinking of my class. There was Mary, a fine girl, capable and earnest. She would make a splendid worker if she were only a Christian, but I am afraid she is not. Then there is Susie. She has many splendid qualities, but I doubt she loves the Savior. Thus I went over the whole class in my thoughts and finally began to pray for them. The more I prayed, the more anxious I became. Finally, I arose and knelt by the bedside and prayed long and earnestly for my girls. At length, the burden became so intolerable that I went upstairs and woke the little minister, saying, See here, my friend, you have got me into trouble, and you must help me out of it. I want you to get up and help me pray for my girls. Out he jumped and joined me in earnest prayer for those seven unsaved girls. The next day, I went to my class and began the lesson. Somehow, I couldn't feel any interest in it, and finally I threw the lesson aside and said, Girls, I have a confession to make. I have taught this class for several years. I have worked hard to make the lessons interesting, but I am afraid I haven't been faithful to your souls. I do not even know whether you are Christians or not. How is it with you, Mary? Are you a Christian? No, Mr. Reynolds, I am not, but I would like to be a Christian. How is it with you, Susie? I think I am just about where Mary stands. I am not a Christian, but I want to be one. And Jenny, how is it with you? I am not a Christian either, but I have long wished I was. I have often wondered why it was, Mr. Reynolds, that you never spoke to us on this subject. You are so interested in us and all that pertains to our welfare, yet you never speak to us about our relation to Christ. I went through the class and I found every one of them in the same condition. I said, Girls, this is no place for us. Follow me into the ladies' parlor. They did so, and all seven girls knelt with me and accepted Christ as their Savior. As soon as I reached home, the little minister greeted me with the question, How about those girls, Brother Reynolds? Every one of them was converted this morning. Praise the Lord. I did praise the Lord, but it made my heart ache to think that I might just as well have had that joy several years before if I had not been such a moral coward. That was the beginning of a new life for Mr. Reynolds, and thousands of teachers and scholars have had occasion to thank God for him and his helpful words. If every Sunday school teacher in our land would have a plain talk with his class next Sunday, I believe that thousands, yes, hundreds of thousands of pupils would be converted before the session closed. Will you be one to do it?